Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, or in other words, planetary purpose. My name is Julian Guderlai, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Federico Rivas. Federico is the co-founder and president of Estadio Ventures, an innovation lab in El Salvador, and they are committed to technological solutions to societal change and societal challenges, especially around violence prevention, women empowerment, and sustainability. He's also the co-chair of an elections committee and advisory council of the Global Shapers community, in which we actually met a few years ago. The Global Shapers are a youth leadership uh, movement and community within the World Economic Forum. And Federico is also the co-founder of Singularity University's San Salvador chapter and the co-chair of Global Dignity in San Salvador. And so with these words, welcome to the show, Federico. I see you're enjoying some coffee. All set <laughs> Thank you, Julian. Yeah. Delighted to start the morning uh, with uh, your presence, uh, this beautiful movement that you're building, and as you mentioned, some some delicious uh, high-grown coffee from uh, my home country, El Salvador. Yeah, not a lot of people can say that they drink coffee from their home country. <laughs> That's special, man. Yeah, you know, and I love sharing coffee because it gives me energy, but it also gives energy to whomever you're sharing the coffee with. So I think it's it's a win-win proposition. Nice, very nice. So thank you for having me. About, oh yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure and, and honor. Like I, I'm glad we're finally having time. Like we since since we first met, I felt like it, it would be awesome to interview you um, one day. And so that that moment is right now. And so I want to know a little bit more about the work you guys do and the work you do um, with the Stadio Ventures and you know facing those challenges and maybe make it really real for people who are listening. Like right. what is a, a project that you're in the midst of or that you're that you love sharing about that, that's going on right now? Thank you, Julian. Thank you for this space once again. I was born during the last days of a terrible civil war 30 years ago in El Salvador. You know, it was the time where the Berlin Wall had just fallen. Um, and, uh, and as you know, the, the Cold War was fought here in Latin America. So when the Berlin Wall falls, also finance, the financiation for guerrilla groups in the Central American region also falls. So they kind of like decide to do this last strike and invade the capitals and kind of like see where this movement could, could take them in their last push. And I was born during these times of the day. And I'm telling you this because when I was two days old, I left the country with my mom seeking refuge in a neighboring country where we were able to stay with an aunt for the first months of my life. But I'm the first, I'm part of a generation, the first generation who did not live through conflict. And I think that this has primed us to have an enormous desire to naturally improve the state of things. That is our default because we, we, were, we came to this world in a context of a lot of chaos. And it was kind of like this generation that was born uh, destined to ameliorate dramatically the state of things. So I think that, that that is historically where I come from now to understand better a lot of the initiatives that we are working on in El Salvador and in Latin America, uh, I'll perhaps tell you the first initiative that I did. And it was uh, when I was 12 years old, I started my first company and I was selling promotional articles to my classmates running for student council. And um, I gathered some savings with my brother. I recently had like some religious festivity where I had some, some money from uh, uh, friends and family. And uh, we decided to buy this machine that created buttons, you know, that, like those round shaped buttons that oh, have yeah. uh, 
a message like Julian for president. And, and that's how uh, my journey as a businessman uh, began. And from selling to our classmates in student council, um, to my parents or the parents of our friends and then supermarkets, we eventually uh, attained as a client, a presidential candidate for El Salvador, who wins the presidency of El Salvador. And you know, then we just continue growing throughout my years in middle school and high school with the help of my brother uh, and built a, a company that um, expanded into neighboring countries. And, and what I can tell you from this is that from a very young age, I've been discerning about the lessons being taught inside of the classroom and those that the world needs and demands and the lessons that the streets gives you, you know, in being a salesman, in pitching, in cashing checks, in manufacturing, in negotiating, you know, from a very young age, I had that privilege of trying to understand what are the skills, the virtues, the aptitudes to thrive in environments of uncertainty. And this has now created a, an entire uh, set of repercussions now that uh, as a social businessman, social entrepreneur and businessman, although I like that term social businessman, now we have a series of companies around Latin America with a keen commitment to improve the state of things. Yeah, um, that's a great term, and, social businessman. Keep going. I, I feel like there's, there's lots more. Thanks for that initial setup huh. and framing the context. I really appreciate that. Right. So building things has been always part of our, uh, of our mantra, of our way of proceeding. And uh, to mention a few now, we have Estadio Ventures, which is the organization I founded with my brother and with uh, a fellow friend and colleague and global shaper, Naomi Hernandez. With um, Estadio is in Spanish for stadium. We had this idea to bring together the best actors of the country and the region to collaborate together to sort of help improve the current eroded state of things. You know, in an area, a, a few facts about the region of the world where we operate, El Salvador is the most densely populated country in continental Americas. Um, in the past years, we had the, some of the highest homicide rates in the world. And also massive migration from Guatemala, from Honduras and El Salvador, what is called the Northern Triangle, into Mexico and North America, creating a, a, a crisis in the southern border. So all of this uh, attributes to lack of hope in this country, in this region, and primarily in its institutions and its future because of failure to deliver solutions to people. Whereas, um, you know, having the, the last three presidents of our country are all either imprisoned or exiled. And um, you know, there's just this disenchantment and an air of abundance of not really delivering results. So we decided to create this innovation lab with some of the best, most talented Salvadorans who decide to return to El Salvador to uh, detonate a, a different kind of revolution. For us, it's a revolution of hope, but also of accountability. And for that, we understand that entrepreneurship is a key driver for growth. And that if we want to deliver hope, sure, philanthropy and aid can, can give temporarily hope and relief. But we believe that the solutions for grand challenges that we are seeing in regions like our own, that are very similar to uh, the solutions that we need in other parts of the world that are experiencing conflict. 
uh, entrepreneurship is a key driver for that because of the sustainability factor and the empowerment factor from the grassroots upwards that can have when we focus in falling in love with solutions and delivering those. That is what generates value. So that's why we created this organization, Estadio Ventures, as a, as a manner of detonating uh, a series of initiatives that would take us into this direction. And, uh, and, and, and I would like to mention a few along the way, but uh, to mention one of them at the moment is um, we created this organization that takes free cinema to rural communities around Central America. So what we do, Julian, is that we put a giant inflatable screen in the heart of a town that is disconnected. You know, we'll go several hours away from the capital and create free cinema for local populations. And this is done with the support of, of brands such as Unilever or also local government foundations from across the UN system of agencies or private family foundations that are very interested in activating uh, disconnected communities to re-engage. So this has been a social uh, business that we built that has now scaled into four countries. And we're doing all sorts of initiatives with communities that usually are disconnected, that are prone to massive migration, that have been raided by violence, be it gang violence or just a, a lot of e economic inequality and, and hence uh, that producing all sorts of vulnerabilities in terms of health and access to education, et cetera. And this has been a Trojan horse to come and deliver opportunities for people, be it through microcredit or through uh, different programs that are seeking to, to empower these communities. That's a, a way to directly tra translate value from the private sector, from the NGO sector, into the individuals who, who need it the most, but in a way that is agile uh, and that has a lot of uh, flexibility. We go to places that a lot of people don't even go. So we're bridging that gap between also um, uh, development organizations that find it too difficult to, to visit um, rural communities. So, so that, that's where we are. And uh, a few years in the game, we've millions of people have, have, have uh, passed through our, our free movies and dozens of foundations and, and organizations that are now collaborating one another in the past that just didn't happen. So that is one example of something that we've done here at Estadio is build unlikely partnerships and allow uh, these, these partnerships to deliver results in places that had been displaced or long forgotten. This is so exciting and also like makes me makes me quite curious. There's there's a few things you said that I want to touch on. One is that in like early early like teenagehood, you were already focused on like the the challenges of our ever changing kind of reality, right? Like coming out of in childhood, coming out of uh, you know a, a country that like so many countries in the world were like war ridden and violence ridden, and, and then like transitioning into a time and we share this, we truly share this. And I know many people listening share this too, with this desire to unweave and untie all these overcomplications and conflicts in the world and create new solutions and create uh, ways of how people can connect. And then when we're in part of these movements or when we're part of these initiatives or, or social ventures, we realize like it's, it's not necessarily easy. It's definitely simple in some ways, but it's, it's not always easy. And so um, this, this solution 
showing movies in rural villages that are completely disconnected from the rest of life. That, that sounds just, honestly, it sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, it also sounds quite a bit dangerous, but just to go into a little bit more detail there, like what kind of movies are you showing? Like, is it um, someone's specific agenda? Like, is it an institution that, that, that furthers that? Or you said like the government and really lever our companies and, and structures that support, like, do, do they have desires of what they want to show people in, in those communities? Or is it really like, like a Trojan horse to simply create connection? Right, so our company is called Cinetour. And at Cinetour, we are convinced, Julian, that to overcome adversity, we have to restore the capacity to dream higher. And I think that this is something that Hollywood has done better than anyone. You know, it's like we're always seeing all these battles and alternative worlds that help us dream and, and, and kind of like ponder the role of the hero, uh, the role of the individual, of the, of the ordinary citizen that says, stop. And it is up to us to do something different. So we're always showcasing movies that, that, that follow in this trend of, of evil overcoming adversity. Uh, and, and, you know, we try to do like family rated movies. Um, and, and something that's very interesting that happens here, Julian, is that a lot of the places that we visit around Central America, a lot of the families and the towns that we go to, they won't leave their homes at night because they're scared. So another very interesting dynamic that we've experienced several years after the founding of this initiative is that um, this also helps regain trust in areas that are stigmatized with conflict because something bad happened, you know, because someone was raped or there was an assassination in this plaza, people won't come out. But then the cinemas there, there's music, there's lights, there's shows, there's, you know, people start coming out again. And that is invaluable. In one particular occasion, we installed one of our screens because these are these are big screens they're often bigger than those you'll find at, at the regular movie theater so it's a statement um we installed one of these screens in Acajutla, which is a a, 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 a town near the shore uh in the pacific ocean in el salvador and we installed our screen in a road that is a divisory line between a rival gang and the other and we did not know this. We weren't aware. But what happened wow. was that you cannot cross that road after 6 p.m. It's just like a, a, a rule that you need to follow because you belong to a territory that is from a rival gang. And, and, you know, and we had, I remember these two women just hugging one another and being so happy that they were there. So they're basically um godmother to one of their uh, friend's son and they were together like you know i hadn't seen her in the longest time because i work until five and then uh i cannot see her after six because we we cannot cross this street and, and they were there you know Sinatur, um was there to be a bridge between two communities that uh, due to unfortunate circumstances cannot engage yet they were there so you know we're producing all sorts of miracles and we're helping the, uh, different actors uh, get involved and, and be ambitious about how to address these special situations that we are underseeing, yet enabling these uh, communities to find also their own solutions to these challenges. So um, a few years ago, we created um, another project which consisted of a, what we call a mobile empowerment unit of taking like this small truck uh, that has some 
doors that opened to the ceiling and it was a mobile computer lab, a virtual reality station and some tents just for women. So we did an experiment. So we went with the mobile cinema, with this small cart into towns uh, all over the country and inviting only women to come into this special area. And what did we discover? You know, women feeling so honored and almost in disbelief that there was a seat there in that circle under that tent only for them. You know, this is a space that is only for women. And, and, we're, and in many places that we go, you know, in, in a culture that is very machista and, and sexist and whatnot, it oftentimes we'll find that. And, and to have a safe space for women to talk and to um, share and support one another was incredibly invaluable. You know, we, we had some opportunities where in these uh, circles, we were very inspired by the movement uh, uh, that Sheryl Sandberg um, founded called Lean In. And uh, based on, on this methodology, we, we encouraged uh, women to, to feel safe and to be able to share adversity. Uh, and then we discovered how many women were experiencing similar issues, you know, perhaps sexual abuse or physical abuse or what it means to be a single mother. And, and uh, or in one occasion, for instance, we learned of this girl who sells avocados and chorizos and travels five hours with a bucket of her, her products to sell. She's 14 and she's the head of her home. She has five other siblings and wow. they were only raised with a mom and a grandmother who also works all day. And, you know, she's the one who needs to sell, you know, at 14 to, to take care of, of her small siblings, because if not, it's not enough what her mom is doing. And, and, you know, being able to share there and, and, you know, the exchange of, of, of empathy, of ideas, of advice, of you know, words of encouragement, we've found has been such an empowering tool. And these are resources that are already in the community. It's just a matter of getting together the safe space and enabling the trust for this, uh, these opportunities to, to express themselves. So that yeah. is another iteration that, that our project has been doing and it is something that we look forward to continue developing especially around uh girls reproductive rights because it is also yeah. a crisis that we're overseeing in, in this part of the world uh as well as as just um, a recognition of dignity in in every person and 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 this is something that we need to work and especially in these disconnected areas i feel that there's an enormous opportunity once again to just utilize this vehicle of you know showing free cinema and having this platform for women as an in, as a as a tool to recognize what is already there that is a lot of experience there is a lot of solidarity there's a lot of resilience and it's just a matter of recog recognizing that which has been done and 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 how this might help inspire uh and also drive an agenda for these communities that um, that that just allows to capitalize all this abundance of of um, of talent that is there, waiting to be um, seen at, believed in, and shared. Yeah, and better integrated, right? That so, this is super inspiring, Federico, and I'm so glad you shared those those examples. Um, you know, for maybe you know myself growing up in europe and, and, and li living in a few different places in the world i've seen those kind of states of poverty and in, in, in many places in the world not just in central and, and latin america but also in, 
in Asia or, or other parts of travel to, you know, but to really live it and to live it every day and to live it every day with this like hopelessness is really, I think it's so like we have over a billion people who live in this like state of poverty on the world. And so uh, initiatives and organizations and, and, and simply like, you know, the, not just the goodwill, but like this energy of yours and the energy of the people around you going into those kind of projects and realizing you're in the game of miracles. Like you said the word miracles a little earlier, you know, it's like we don't even just believe in miracles. Like we rely on them when we tackle those systemic like issues of poverty and like, you know, abuse and pretty much just a society that, um, you know, it's, it's 2019 going into 2020, but it's a society that's still based on agreements from another millennia, you know, in, in the very far past. And so I'm inspired by what you're sharing. I have a question for you that, you know, maybe you have a real life answer, but otherwise you can share with me what's, what's on, the, on your mind. And the question is, if you could single-handedly or with your brothers and your organization change the education system, what would you do? It's a super ambitious question and I love it. I think that is so important, Julian, that first we recognize that there is a problem. And I'm afraid that not many of us recognize the future of education as a problem, or at least not enough. You know, um, when I was 12, as I was beginning this, uh, our company, I remember after a few months, we visited a community with my school uh, and we helped rebuild a home with Habitat for Humanity. The year before, we had a devastating earthquake. This was 2001 that paralyzed El Salvador for three months that killed hundreds of people, you know, through massive landslides and, and you, know, you know, just building fallout. Like it was like massive. So we were in an era of reconstruction. And I remember visiting through the service learning outreach program, um, helping build this town, seeing how the school over there was. And I just felt very moved. You know, and also heartbroken at the same time. My heart was happy and full because I was helping, but it was torn at the same time because it just saw so much struggle. And um, I remember going back to school and we did a little fundraiser. There was like, um, you could buy for a dollar these little bricks that had a Habitat for Humanity stamp. They were a dollar each. And I remember uh, getting a hundred dollars, which was like, most of my profits from that I had made from my first few sales and donating them anonymously to, to my, to my class and saying like, uh, give me a hundred bricks. And I remember that the professor was like, what? Like, yeah. Uh, and so my, my class won a pizza party because we, we did, we, we, uh, did the most fundraising and, awesome. um, and you know, you know, this was in a time where, oh, and even as a micro businessman, I had no idea what uh, the word philanthropy means or what uh, corporate social responsibility or social innovation was. No, it's just an intuition. You know, it was recognizing that there is a lot of inequality and despair and that you can do something about it. You know, so when I look back, in this journey of 17 years, what has changed? Yes, uh, physically grown so much and I have transformed it through different uh, uh, stages. But I look back to this example of first having the privilege of 
recognizing that something is off, is wrong, and that we can do something about it. So to your question, um, I would invite whoever is listening, look out in your community and go where it hurts the most. And look out to your question, into your own educational system. And what is going on here in El Salvador in a small classroom of four meters by four with a, a laminate ceiling that is boiling hot at whatever time of the day, you're gonna have 40 students or 50 students in this very small space with one single professor who's teaching second grade, third grade, fifth grade, and eighth grade all at the same time. And there is no access to clean water. There's no electricity. You'll have a few books. You know in your audience as a professor that half of your class did not have breakfast. Mm. And that has been the norm for a really long time. And no, they're not doing intermittent fasting. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, they're actually malnourished. Yeah. And maybe if the rainy season comes, you know, you'll have to put different buckets all around the classroom and then use that water to drink. You know, so first you do it to not flood, but then you do it because you, you have to give your students something to drink. So to your question, Julian, first it's how are we reaching out of our comfort zones, going to where it hurts the most and observing the reality and empathizing with that reality and then seeing how we can perhaps, you know, be it through the pizza party fund fundraiser or getting involved with an organization in a strategic matter, such as like the Global Shapers community and, and starting our, a, a, a project on education, whatever it is. But it, it has to be tied to recognizing that there is a problem in the first place. And the other thing that, that I always advise, or, or that at least I like to comment on is, it has to also connect with us because all of us have so many passions, right? Usually mm -hmm. and are, are so vested into different worlds, but especially around holistic living and wellness and, and, and so many other things. So in that realm, where can I go in, in a matter that I can explore something that hurts and that relates to a large chunk of society? And in, in terms of education, once again, at least in this part of the world, it's just, it's a matter of observing what is going on and then not just putting it up to speed to say where uh, let's say I, I, I graduated from American school. It's not like, how can I bring this rural community to a level to the American school? Not really, because my school is also not up to date. It, you know, it's like, how do we really envision that model of the future? And how can that be the new aspiration? And, and we're actually um, on early stages of working something. Last week, we just had a meeting with the presidency of, of El Salvador and uh, an actors from Singularity University to, to, to collaborate through a problem, uh, through a project called Mi Nueva Escuela, or like um, these, these beautiful lightweight structures that are, we want them to invade the whole country to redefine the future of education here. So more on that uh, on a different conversation. But to your question, first, it's a matter of recognizing where the problem is, knowing that a lot of current models are also outdated 
and, and dream higher of how we can join a movement that school by school or student by student is going to start detonating a revolution in the right direction. Yeah, like an evolutionary revolution, right? Like a, an up-leveling from where we are. I really like how you put this into context in regards to where the problem is. Because in, in, you know, in different countries, it is in different places. And uh, where I grew up in, in Germany, or, you know, where, where I've lived now for a long time in Canada, it, it's comparatively speaking, uh, it, it's quite well, but it's also not preparing people for these immensely changing and challenging times we're in, right? So... Um, there's lots to do when it comes to education basically everywhere. So I'm, I'm happy to have another conversation another time about this initiative that you guys are doing with Singularity University. Sounds like um, you're, setting, you're setting yourself and the country up for a complete new paradigm. And that, that is exciting, actually. Um, Federico, I know we, we, we only have like a short bit of time left today. So um, what I want to ask is a, a more personal question. And you were talking about trust a little bit earlier. And I just want to ask you, for you, as, as, as the man you are, like what is required in this world? What is required for you to, to experience trust? Courage. First and foremost, courage. Because trust already integrates risk. Because if, if, if we are not willing to trust first, uh, how can we expect to be trusted equally? So it's a matter of just developing an, an important sense of intuition and of um, of openness, you know, like, and and whenever that is the situation, um, w w when we feel this condition of trust, even the just by the gut feeling, have the courage to be brave, to be vulnerable, uh, and to be open, because. But it has to start with us. We cannot expect the whole world to, to, to lean in first. So, and I think it is vital. No matter what we choose to do, what profession, you know, and it doesn't need to be tied necessarily to development uh, or improving the lives of, of, of others. No, not necessarily. Even in the business world, I see that there's a huge vacuum in terms of, of trust. And for that, I think that courage is then a, a, a vital virtue that we must embody each day. And personally, how do I do this? I shower with cold water every morning, no matter where I am. In El Salvador, it's not, there's not Amazing. a lot. I mean, it does, water doesn't get too cold, but uh, I, I go a lot to, I don't know, places like Switzerland or, or, or the winter in North America is terrible, and I just open the cold shower <laughs> and... For me, it's a reminder that courage is optional, but not all of us have the opportunity to be brave. So it is important if we do have it to be brave on behalf of those whose risks, whose lives are at risk or whose families are at risk because of, of this lack of a condition. So my heart goes out to those individuals, but it's also a call to myself. You know, it's like, how am I choosing to be brave each day, no matter the contact that I am? Because I, I today have that opportunity. I love this answer. I, I mean, I specifically love the cold showers, but I think, you know, um, trust is, is, is an experience that ultimately comes to the heart space and courage lives in the heart space. So that is, that is really beautifully put. I have two more questions for you, 
fit in. And number one, um, it's just really on the ground. Like I know you travel the world a lot. I know you live in a country that I've yet to visit, but that, you know, um, has stunning places all over. Like what are your three favorite places in the world? So first, I would say here in El Salvador, there is this magical place. It's a, it's a, it's a volcano uh, uh, mountain range, and uh, it's called Cordillera Ilamatepec. And uh, there's a beautiful lake, which is a crater filled with water with another crater inside, which is a little island. This is called Lake Coatepeque. It's one of my favorite places in the world, absolutely. And it also changes color due to the mineral content in the water. Um, so sometimes wow. it's going to be just deep blue other times. For the past five years, once a year, it changes color into turquoise. And kind of like you're, you're, it's kind of like if you're swimming in milk. It's, it's incredible. And it's due to proliferation of uh, algae when uh, some of the volcanic uh, streams underneath the, the lake start staring up uh, the, the algae through and stimulating through hot water and then you have formal volcanoes next to it where and it's just stunning it's it's, it's, it's surreal to be at sea level and then in uh, an hour you're at 2,000 meters overlooking Guatemala and the Pacific Ocean you know this was um, a part of the world where the author of The Little Prince got inspired for many of his drawings in this book and, and, I, and I love going there. We have a, a, a small coffee project and a tourist, tourism project. So it's called Campo Bello. Uh, so check it out. <laughs> and um, so you have two there, the lake and the mountain. Uh, they're both, those two are both in El Salvador. I really like the Swiss Alps as well. Um, I'm just stunned by their seamless... Uh, unpretentious beauty and also see them how, how they evolve how some things remain in, in spite of the changing times so if, if, if we're down in, in in southern switzerland in the geneva area uh during the fall you know it's just absolutely beautiful i really like to connect with uh the elements and that is something that, that we don't have in middle americas we only have wet season and dry season and for me, just uh, that whole uh, area of um, of northern Italy, southern Switzerland, northeastern France, especially in the fall season, is a place where I gather a lot of inspiration. Yeah, seasons are something very special. I like how two of your favorite places are in El Salvador. So um, that yeah, may, means more people go to El Salvador, including myself. It's on my it's on my list, and um, as you know, it hasn't yes. for a while. So. It's time for me to come over. My last question for you, and you kind of saw that one coming, is, you know, it's kind of a bigger vision question, and it, I'm not looking for, like, the one right answer or anything, but in the regards of, you know, the planet we live on, you're, you're speaking a lot about the changing times, and, you know, I feel like whenever we meet, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of energy of what is possible um, that, that we're connecting over. So if you were to speak into the vision of the next seven generations, you know, for the next 200 years, what do you think, what's the world you want to see? What are the, the values you want to see? What, what are some, some of the changes that you think we're, we're finally ready for on this planet? Wow. Um, 
you know, two things come to mind. One is this, why? Why, why are we here? And what are the times that we're traversing to? I have no idea what the future departs. I think it's gonna be a fantastic future. I foresee a future of so much abundance and equanimity, but each one of us has to connect to our inner purpose. Why do we believe we're here? And what are those values? What are those skills? What is that calling instilled in us that we believe that there are gifts that need to be stepped on to share? So, so, so connecting with the why I think is so important. And then to pinpoint a value, I would say that courage has to be there no matter the generation, no matter the time. Courage comes from the Latin of cur, of heart. Courage is the era, the time to bring your heart forward when it came to the English language. And I learned that from Brenna Brown. Uh, it was more of context of, of vulnerability, of bravery. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is something that regardless of the generation, in a thousand years time, what I would ask, especially young generations, younger generations, but it applies to all of us, is to be very brave. No matter what is going on, it is so important to go where it hurts the most, to empathize, to also connect with our own struggles and to be restless in this endeavor to start delivering change that is answering this calls of, of, of the greatest needs of our time. And they will be very different today than those that we will see in 100, 200 years. But it's the same conviction that we recognize that we are special, that we have unique specific gifts that can be of service to others. And there's a, the echo is greater where the room is emptier. What are those empty rooms? Where are those vacuums that need our protagonism, that need our voice to be raised? And go there bravely, courageously into the deep, and I hope that that is something that for the generations to come, we, uh, if you're seeing this video a few hundred years down the road or thousands, I, I hope you're still answering that call. We're very sorry for the poor quality of recording back in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for this answer and thank you for this, this consistent call to courage and, and like bravery in a way of like leaning, leaning in and leaning into it's the spaces that are not, not yet really, you know, explored with courage and, and empathy. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for, for you know, a first interview. It sounds like one of many because there's like infinite projects that you're a part of that I, I'm curious about. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share? Any call to action anywhere people can find you or they can reach out to you? No, thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know where you can find me, but, uh, uh, but just once again, each day, let's ask ourselves, what would we do today if fear wasn't here, if fear didn't come over us, if fear didn't animate our inaction? And let's kick the hell out of those demons. (laughs) Let's do it.
Gracias, Julian. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's that. Another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, into your relationships, or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world. Because this is a movement and we're all part of it. Very much so. And we're in this together. We're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win, I win, and the entire planet wins. We're raising consciousness together and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of inside evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in. Connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you, and until soon. Mm -hmm.